Let me say good morning, and I'm happy to be here. And my name is Tony Snyder. I always fail to do this. In case you don't know me, my name is Tony Snyder. I'm one of the lay elders here. Uh, um, let me say another little thing I always wanted to say. My wife says I'm terrible at subtle hints. You guys probably know what I'm talking about. If you're married, you've probably been told that before, too. And I know when we elders are standing up here in front of receiving people, that I have no idea. I used to tell my kids when I taught school, I can read a book, but I can't read a mind. You have to tell me what you're thinking. And so some of you may come to the altar and you and you just want to be alone with God. And I, I respect that. And so if you do, and you just you don't make eye, eye contact with me when you come up to the altar over here where I usually stand, then I will not go and disturb your devotion with God. Uh, but if you would like for someone to pray with you, no matter what it is or anything, if you'll just glance up and make eye contact at me, I would be glad to do that. And I think all of our elders would feel the same way. They would too. And so some people don't mind coming up, and especially with Cody, they'll take his hand and talk to him and all that. And uh, But some people just don't feel comfortable with that. So I don't want you to feel intimidated. We are not up here to intimidate anybody. We're here to just to help you if you need help or, or want someone just to pray with you. Maybe you just got a burden you just want somebody to pray with you with about. And so... I think they all would nod and say yes to this. If you would just, I just want you to just give me a sign because I'm, I'm not very good at reading, <laughs> reading people. And so just look at me and I'll be glad to come and speak with you and, and talk with you and, and especially pray with you for whatever you need. Um, I'll, let me ask you a question. What, what do you think about when you think of friendships? When you think of friends, what comes to your mind? With mine, it's usually shenanigans. I mean, you grow up with people, and that, I think that's what builds friendship relationships, shenanigans. I can't tell you how many times in my growing up in high school that I thought maybe we were going to get shot at or uh, arrested or drowned or something, you know, with stuff that me and my friends did. And one time, I'll give you this quick little story. He's not in here, but I asked him if I could do this. He comes to church here. Uh, a friend and I were at work. And uh, we were, we may have still been in high school, I guess we were. And we were working our summer job, and he had driven to my house and rode to work with me. And we ate lunch that day, and uh, he didn't eat his tomato. He had a tomato from lunch, a red ripe tomato. It's kind of like a red button, you know, you got to push. He held that tomato up to me at lunch, and he said, I'm going to hit somebody with this tomato. I'm going to hit Thumper. And the Thumper was our friend who was working, we were off, working off site from where we normally worked. And Thumper was supposed to meet us where we were. He drove an old Volkswagen. And my friend was going to hit Thumper's car with that <laughs> tomato. I said, yeah, that'd be good, you know. You know how boys are. And so we, we got finished working. We went back to the, to the regular job site, and we never met Thumper, so we didn't get to hit him. Well, we started home that afternoon, and my friend said, I'm going to hit something with this tomato. <laughs> and I said, uh, you better not. Now, this road right here, everybody knows my car. Everybody knows me. They know you. You hit something. They're going to catch, you know, you better not do that on this road. He said, I'm going to hit something with this tomato. So, long story short, we're driving. We meet a car. He flips it over the thing, splat right on the windshield. Well, I look in the rearview mirror, and that car is coming to a screeching halt, so I kick it. Now, if my mom is listening to this, we didn't speed, Mom. We didn't speed. <laughs> We zip down, we go past my house where his car is parked and go to his house, and we think we maybe we've lost him. 
Well, 30 seconds later, they come driving up. They knew exactly who we were. It was somebody we went to school with. And let me tell you, there's a couple of lessons learned in this whole story. Number one, a red ripe tomato will crack a windshield. It cracked it right, right where it splat was a crack right up that windshield. And number two, my friend learned that uh, windshields cost more than, than what he was making per week. Let me say it that way. And so, uh, well, we learned some valuable lessons. But I think of friendships, every time I think of them, I think of the shenanigans that we did and all the crazy stuff we did and stuff that just, you know, you think about friendships People come to church because of friendships. But people don't come to church also because of friendships. Because they can't make one. That's why we're such, we push so hard with connection groups and things. We want you to make a connection. Because if you're new here and you don't make a connection, you don't make friendships, lasting good friendships, you probably won't come back. Or you probably will just phase out. And contrary to popular opinion, we do at this church wants you to be wants you to make friendships lasting friendships that'll make you stay because we want you to be here and we really do and um, when I was thinking about this I thought about uh, about a month ago a friend of mine died from COVID a guy he's younger than me I taught across the hall from him and coached with him for 11 years and um, I, I, I assumed his wife would probably ask some of us coaches to speak at his funeral and I thought man what if she asked me so I started thinking about what I would say if I had to talk about you know when you go to a funeral you people always say well he was a great husband and he was a great father and he was a great coach and he was a great mentor and all these things and he was and I thought what would I say if I was saying something about him all I can say is he was just a good friend of mine he was a good friend and I thought well that wouldn't be much to say according to what everybody else might say but I thought there's probably no higher honor than you could give that title to someone a friend you know the word friend is used 99 times in the Bible? And I read all 99 of those verses this couple of weeks ago studying for this message. 99 times. I don't know why it's not 100, but 99 times. And only three times has anybody ever been called a friend of God. Uh, let me see if I can remember. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 7 says, To Abraham, thy friend forever. He's God's friend. Isaiah 41.8 says, to the seed of Abraham, God's speaking here. He says, to the seed of Abraham, my friend. And in James 2.23, uh, the writer says, Abraham, who was called the friend of God. See, there's only one person in all of Scripture that's called God's friend. It must be a pretty high title, friend. Now, I have to give Moses a little credit. The Bible says that God spoke to Moses face to face as a man would speak to his friend. But only Abraham has the title of being a friend of God. That must be a pretty high praise. So when someone calls you friend, if you really have someone who's a true friend, that's a high title. Well, I'll give you one more coincidence with this. When, when Cody asked me to fill in for him here, I like it when he kind of tells us what, the, what, what scriptures to use or what, what his series of messages is because then I don't have to pick the whole scripture. I think this is all God's word, so it's all important. And my hardest thing sometimes is what should, I, what should I use as a text? So he said, it's dealer's choice, anything you want. So I asked him, I said, well, what are, what, what are you, is there anything that you want me to stay with a theme of or whatever? You know, he's preaching on the, his, uh, the big story. 
how you see Jesus on every page. He said, well, the one I am going to skip is, is the part about David and Jonathan and their friendship. Chapter 18. So if you got your Bible, turn to, we're going to look at the first four or five verses of chapter 18, 19, and 20 of 1 Samuel. Jonathan and David, probably the greatest human friendship in all of Scripture. So today I want us to talk about what it means to be a friend like Jesus. See, Jesus tells his disciples, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. He told that to his personal 12 disciples. There's no greater love than a man lay down his life for his friends. So when you think about a friend, a friend like Jesus, Jonathan is a good example of what it means to be a friend like Jesus. So I want us to look at that. He is our best Old Testament example of that. So look at chapter 18. We'll read the first five verses. Uh, and I know it's a lot of, we can't, we can't read all of this, um, but we've got to tell this big, long story. But, and I'll try to just fill it in. Uh, chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. Uh, so I'm not going to ask you to stand and all that because we're going to do this three times. We're going to do it for each point that I have. So you can remain seated. It says, verse 18, uh, chapter 18, verse 1 says, Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he had loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even with his sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of all of Saul's servants. Now, first thing I notice when I notice about uh, Jonathan being David's close friend is that Jonathan was willing to sacrifice. If you've got the little outline thing you want to fill it in, Jonathan was willing to sacrifice. And see, when I think about that, that's the same thing Jesus was. Jesus says, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Well, he didn't just lay it down for his friends, he laid it down for his enemies. Jonathan was willing to sacrifice. Look at verse 1 there. It says that as soon as they got through speaking, that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Now, I looked that up. That comes from a, a Hebrew word that's pronounced koshar, which means to tie or to compact together. Now, it even means like this, to make a conspiracy together. Because, see, that's really what they did. You say, well, Tony, what do you mean? David had just come back from killing Goliath. He probably had Goliath's head in his hand and his sword in the other one when he's speaking to Saul right here. Because if you remember, if you go back and read the chapters before, Cody talked about them last week, when David went out to go battle uh, Goliath, Saul looked at Abner, the captain of the army, and said, who is that youth? He said, I don't know. He said, well, go find out. I don't know who he is. I'm sending him out to battle for us. Who is he? So anyway, he didn't even know him. So when David had come home and come back from the killing of Goliath, he probably still had Goliath's head in his hand. And as soon as they finished speaking, as soon as Saul questioned David, they, even had, they haven't even had the, the victory parade yet. That comes later on in chapter 19. 
And as soon as they finished speaking, Jonathan's soul was knit to David. He saw something special in David. Now, the Bible says that he stripped himself of the robe he had on. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. Philippians 2.7 says, Christ made himself of no reputation and took on the form of a servant. The king of kings came to, to earth for us. Look what Jonathan did. He was, about, he was the prince, about to be king when his father's gone. And I don't know if he knew about Samuel already anointing David or what. He took off his robe and gave it to David. I don't know if he did it right there in front of his father. Probably didn't. But David knew something special. I mean, Jonathan knew something was special in David. He gave him his, his armor, his sword, all the stuff that princes got. And, he gave, and his robe especially, he gave it to David. So he was willing to sacrifice his position. Just like Christ sacrificed his position. And seated at the right hand of God to come to this sinful earth for me and you. Man, Jonathan is a perfect picture, Old Testament picture of Jesus, isn't he? Perfect. Now, second thing, Jonathan saw in David something that David hadn't seen in himself, his greatness, his ability to be king. Now, I just wonder, do you think maybe he might have known about Samuel already anointing David? Maybe David told him in their, in their friendship somewhere, Friends share things, you know. I don't know. Maybe he told him. Maybe he didn't give him the robe till later. I don't know. I, there's, there's no way to know that because the, the Bible is sometimes chronological, but sometimes it gives you some reason and you've got to flash back. So I don't know. But I know that Samuel had already anointed David, and Jonathan must have known about that. Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. See, Jonathan, Jonathan could see the greatness of David. Think about this. Christ knows the plans he has for you. If you don't know the Lord today, Christ is saying, just come to me. I've got some plans for you. I can see what you can't see. And Jonathan knew that. He could see that. Jonathan trusted his friend more than he did his family. And I told you I read all those 99 verses with the word friend in them. <laughs> Proverbs 17, 17 says this, A friend loveth at all times. Proverbs 18, 24 says, uh, He that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. See, he trusted him more than he did his own family. Jonathan trusted David more than he did his own family, his own father. Now, let me give you a little background before we get into our second focal passage. A, a, a true friend is someone who's willing to sacrifice. But let me give you a little bit of background. In chapter 18, if you read the rest of it, and we're not going to read all of that, they go out and they have their victory parade. And when they're going through the streets after they've defeated the Philistines, they're shouting, Saul has killed his thousands. And then some of the ladies start shouting, but David killed his ten thousands. <laughs> And the Bible says an evil spirit from the Lord came upon Saul or a jealousy overtook him. A troubling spirit from God. See, this was all God's plan anyway. A troubling spirit came upon Saul and jealousy overtook him. Let me tell you what the Bible says about jealousy. 
Proverbs chapter 27, verse 4. It says, wrath is cruel. This is one of my verses I love. Anger is outrageous, but who can stand before envy? I've said this one before. Think of those three bad things, wrath and anger and jealousy. It says jealousy is the worst one. It's worse than wrath and anger. Who can stand before envy? Now, so Saul then has David removed from the palace, and he sets him out as the captain over all the battles, hoping that he'd, take, he'd spend enough time in the battles with the Philistines he'd get killed. Isn't that ironic? <laughs> Isn't that what David does when he becomes king and he has the affair with Bathsheba? What does he do to Uriah? He sends him out. See, we're sinful by nature. Even David does the same thing when he becomes king. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? Uh, verse 14 tells us that, you know, if you go back and read the prior things that Saul was supposed to give, his daughter to be, who, the man who killed this Philistine would get Saul's daughter. And so Saul offers David, Mirab, his oldest daughter, to marriage. And David said, well, who am I to marry a king's daughter? We don't, have a, we don't have any money in my family. So you're supposed to give a dowry when someone gives you their daughter in marriage back in their day. David said, I don't have any dowry to give to him. So Saul, I guess, trying to humiliate him, gives her to someone else. But then he secretly fi he finds out that his younger daughter, Michael, loves David. And David kind of likes her, they think. So he says, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll let him have Michael and I'll require a dowry from him because he likes her. I'll require a dowry of Philistines. So he tells him, go out. He said, I'll let you have Michael, my daughter. And you don't have to pay a dowry since your family's not rich or anything. Here's what I want you to do. You're a man of war. Go out and get me a hundred uncircumcised Philistine foreskins, Okay. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can ask someone when you get home, okay? Now, go out and kill, basically what he's saying, kill 100 Philistines and bring back their body parts, okay? So David says, hey, I can do that. He runs out and he kills 200 <laughs> and brings back 200. And so now he gives him Michael as his, as his daughter. Now, he's hoping that maybe in this process of fighting Philistines that he'd get killed. So it backfires. Everything David does works. So let's look at the second focal passage. Chapter 19, we're going to read the first seven verses. Okay? Now, the first thing was that a friend like David, I mean, a friend like Jonathan, a friend like Jesus is willing to sacrifice. Second thing, a friend like uh, Jesus is willing to intercede. Look at what Jonathan does in chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. It says, now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, to all his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, my father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. Then what I observe, I will tell you. Verse 4, then Jonathan Thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his words have been very good toward you. For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine. 
And the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all of Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin? Uh, 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 why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, As the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all the things, all these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. Now, the second thing I want you to see here is that a friend like Jesus is willing to intercede. David interceded on behalf, I mean, Jonathan interceded on behalf of David. Uh, he asked his father to not do what he had planned to do. The Bible tells us that Jesus does the same thing to, uh, for us. Christ intercedes for us. The first thing you think of is when he's dying on the cross, he prays for us. He prays for the people who's killing him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. The Bible tells us not only did he pray for them, he, he appeased his anger. See, Christ's death on the cross appeased the anger of God had for us. Romans 8.26 says this, When we don't know what to pray, the Spirit himself intercedes with groanings too deep for words. See, sometimes, you, sometimes when the invitation is going on, you know God's speaking to you, and you want to come up here and you want to ask God to come into your life. But you say, well, I don't know what to pray. And those scary elders standing up there, I, I don't want those guys, you know, I don't know what to pray. Let me tell you something. When I was seven years old, God got a hold of me like that. We was at a revival service. Back then we had revival in the morning and, in the after, and at night. The only people that went in the morning was the ladies who didn't work and the old retired men, you know. So there's like geriatric morning services. But I remember listening, listening, and my aunt kept me and my two cousins, and she would take us to the morning service. And I was seven years old. I'll never forget this. And I remember the Lord speaking to me or the Lord putting it on my heart about what's it mean to be saved what, what's this being saved stuff and I asked her about it she said well when, when God speaks to your heart that didn't make any sense to me as a seven year old speaks to your heart what does that mean and she said well I said how do you know God's speaking to you and she said you'll just know and I don't know if that was very good theology but <laughs> well that night my dad took us back to revival service and I remember sitting there during the invitation and what she said, I just knew, I just knew. I knew God was speaking to me. Now, do you think I knew what to pray? No. I didn't know what to say, and I don't remember what I did pray. I remember who prayed with me. We had this one guy who's Ralph Rhodes, bless his heart. He would come pray with everybody that came to the altar. That's, I guess that's why I'm kind of the way I am about being at the altar. Whether you wanted him up there or not, he would come pray with you, okay? He's a great man, but... I don't even know what he prayed because he prayed out loud right over you, you know, with his hand on your shoulder or whatever. I just know this. When I stepped out from behind that pew and I started walking down that aisle, God saved me right then because the Spirit had already been grown in what was in here. <laughs> he had already been praying for me because God knew what I was coming for, okay? When the invitation starts today, if God is speaking to you, let him pray. You just come and say, God, I'll, I'll surrender. Just surrender, okay? 
he intercedes for his friend. Jesus intercedes for us. He sacrificed for us. Let me give you a little background on chapter 19 before we move into chapter 20. The Bible says, again, an evil spirit from the Lord came upon Saul. Saul twice tried to throw a javelin like he was like he was target practicing, but he tries to throw it through David. David's like, he doesn't know that Saul hates him, but he thinks that Saul, you know. So he says, I better get out of here. So Michael, his wife, helps him escape. Saul was ready to kill him in the palace. And so he sends men to kill him. Sends men to kill him in the palace where he lays in his bed. Well, Michael has already figured out that they're going to do this, so she helps David escape, and she puts a, some pillows or whatever in the bed to make it look like David is sick and in bed. So she tells him, he's in bed sick, because they come in, so where's David? And so she has to do that. And finally, David gets, he escapes, and he goes to Ramah, which is where Samuel is, the prophet. And three times, three times, Saul sends men after David in Ramah three times and every time they go they're over there they're there to kill David or to punish David whatever and God makes prophets out of them <laughs> they start prophesying when they get there three different times finally Saul says I'll go myself he takes off with a group of men and he goes same thing happens to him God makes prophets out of them made prophets out of Saul let me tell you something about this. Here's what I'm going to say about this. When God wants you to do something, or God's, you, God's got you in his protection, but the devil won't ever quit. He'll just keep coming. He'll keep telling you, don't do that. When that invitation starts and God says, come to me, the devil says, no, you don't need to go up there. He'll keep on, and he'll keep on, and he'll keep on. But you know what? Christ won't let him have you. He didn't, let, he didn't let Saul have David. Even though he sent three bands of men and he went himself, he still didn't let him. He made prophets out of all of them. Satan will not quit. Jesus told Peter in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32, he says, Simon, Satan wants to have you, to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when you are converted, strengthen your brothers. So he intercedes for us. He gets in Satan's way. Now, not only does a friend like Jesus sacrifice for us and intercede for us, let me show you the last part. Look at chapter 20, verses 1 through 7. A friend like Jesus is willing to listen to us. Listen to us. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 1 through 7. Let's read it right quick. It says, then David fled from Naoth in Ramah and went and said to Jonathan. Now, he's already been hiding from him, okay? And went to said to Jonathan, what have I done? What is my iniquity and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? Can you just hear the desperation in his voice? What have I done? Because about two or three times now, he's already thrown a spear and tried to stick pin him to the wall. And Jonathan don't even realize that his father still hates him, Okay? So Jonathan said, verse 2, so Jonathan said to him, By no means you shall not die. Indeed, my father will not do anything, either great or small, without telling me first. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. He didn't believe it. 
He didn't believe it. Verse 3, and David took an oath again. David swore and said, listen to me. Your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said, do not tell Jonathan, uh, do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. David said, I'm on death's doorstep, and you don't even realize it. And then Jonathan then realized, David, he may be right. So Jonathan says this, verse 4. So Jonathan said to David, whatever your self-desire, I will do it for you. See, when we come to Christ, when we come to God, when God's speaking to your heart, and you walk down this altar, God is saying, come to me. Sometimes you're in desperation. You're at your wit's end. You don't know what to do. God says, come. Let me do it. Whatever you want, okay? Let me take control of this. Now, let's finish the last two or three verses. And David said to Jonathan, Indeed, tomorrow is a new moon, and I, was, I should not fail to sit with the king to eat. But let me go that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked permission of me that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. If he says thus, it is well, your servant will be safe. But if he is very angry, be sure that evil is determined by him. So let's, David said, let's put him to a test then. Let's find out if he's really... I'll tell you how you can tell. When I'm absent at the feast, like we all, like we are all, when he sees my place missing and he starts questioning you, where is, where is David? Tell him I've, you've given me leave to go somewhere. And if that makes him mad, he's afraid that David has escaped because he's already tried to kill him, you know, a couple of times. So Jonathan says, okay. Now, let me talk to you just a minute. He's willing to listen. David's desperation, he was actually saying, what must I do to be saved? See, when you come to Christ, you're basically, you're basically giving up to God saying, what must I do to be saved? That night I got saved, I walked down that aisle, I said, Lord, I don't know what to do, I just want to be saved. At seven years old, I didn't understand any theology. What must I do to be saved? And nobody really shared anything great with me. We didn't have any special prayer. Like I said, I believe when I stepped out from behind that pew, that's when God did it. Because God said, you surrender, okay, I'll take it from here. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Isn't that good that God does that? Now, Jonathan, Jonathan uh, like Jesus, was telling David three things. He said, all right, here's what we're going to do. Now, I'm going to paraphrase it instead of reading it for you because it takes us long. Jonathan says, okay, you wait out here in this field, and I'll go do what you said. And if my father is mad at you or not, I'll come back and let you know. David says, you know, what if he won't let you out? What if, what if he's, he gets suspicious? And Jonathan said, I will get word to you, I promise. He said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come out here at this field, and I'm going to act like, because he might not let me leave the palace, but I'm paraphrasing here. Y'all got to bear with me. He said, he might not let me leave the palace, but I'm going to come out here and act like I'm shooting my bow, practicing. And you get out there on the other side of that field. There's a big rock right out there. And he says, if I shoot my bow, I'm going to shoot three arrows. And if I tell the lad that's going to fetch my arrows, no, it's more to the right. And things are all right. He said, but if I shoot one deep past the rock, 
And I tell the lad, go a little farther. That means you need to go a little farther, David. You need to get out of here. Dad's really mad at you, okay? So that's the plan they had. That's what, what Jonathan told him. And David's still scared now. He said, now look, if you're not going to do this, you kill me yourself. Jonathan said, I'm making a covenant with you. Will you make one with me? Let me tell you what Jonathan says to David. First he says, listen to me. Listen to me. I'm going to tell you it's to the right or it's farther. Just listen to me, okay? See, in a minute, the invitation is going to happen, and God is going to be speaking to somebody in here, and all he's saying is listen to me, okay? The second thing he told him, he says, trust me, David. Trust me. I will get, it. I'll get that word to you. God's going to be saying the same thing. Listen to me. Number two, trust me. And the last thing he says, then you obey my voice. If I tell you to go farther, I tell the lad to go farther to fetch the arrow, you know you need to go farther. If I tell you everything's all right, I tell him to go to the right, everything's all right. Just listen to me. Trust me and obey my voice. Jesus said in John 15, 14, talking to his disciples, he said, Ye are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Ye are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Listen to him, trust him, and obey his voice. Do what he commands. He may be saying, come to me. Now, if you go on and read the rest of the chapter, here's what Jonathan says. I'm going to do this. We may not ever see each other again. He said, but I want you to make a covenant with me, David. I'm making one with you that I'm going to do this for you. I want you to make a covenant with me that when you become king and God squelches your enemies in front of you, that you don't do what all the kings do and kill my family and destroy me and all that. I want you to protect me and my family. Because Jonathan knew he was going to be king one day. I want you to make a covenant with me too. Now what's the Holy Spirit saying to us today when he says, come to me? All he asks from us is we come to him and make a covenant relationship with him. Make a covenant relationship. That you be knit together with him. Okay? Make a compact with me. We are knit together. He has already sacrificed for you. The Holy Spirit is now interceding for you. And he's willing to change your life if you're willing to listen trust him and obey his voice let's pray together thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons we would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one on one we are not a perfect church but we are a joyful church and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ we would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon you'll be able to find information about our worship services about who we are, what we believe, what we do and what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org and we would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.